Mike, think about it. Words, they have incredible power because every thought that we think and every word that we speak, it creates your future. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, where we have conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, athletes, best-selling authors who are using their impact moment to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. Each week, our guest is part of a series such as mindset, leadership, purpose, and in this case, belief. Belief is a powerful thing. Think about it for a moment. Sow a thought, reap an act. That is part of a quote from one of my favorite quotes by Charles Reed. Sow a thought, reap an act. That little space between the thought and the act is a critical time and worth pausing to consider. Essentially, the only thing preventing you from taking action in some way, shape, or form is whether you believe that you are capable of doing it. Not whether you will be successful doing it, but simply whether you believe you are capable. Over the course of the next few weeks, we will take time learning from some of the best minds in this area, and I am excited and I hope you are too. Now enough from me, let's hear about our guests. Kevin Hall's book, Aspire, Discovering Your Purpose Through the Power of Words, changed my life, and I do not use those words lightly. There are very few events or books that have impacted my life in such a profound way. And when I was gifted a copy of Aspire, I was in a very dark time and I was intending to leave the financial services industry. However, I devoured the book and I came away recommitted and re-engaged, not just to the industry and to serving my clients and my family business, but more importantly, re-engaged with what I was capable of achieving as a human being and my potential. And the book taught me just how powerful our words are and how they can change the way we believe about ourselves and the impact that we are capable of having in the world. You are about to embark on a journey to fulfill who you are meant to be. And the words that we talk about are just the beginning of what we are capable of of doing. And the reason why Kevin focused on words is because he really is passionate. And he's made it his life's mission to change the words of leadership, to change the way we talk about leadership, to change the way we talk to each other. And so bust out your pens and paper. This is exciting. Take some notes. Embrace for impact. Kevin Hall, I am just super pumped to have you on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. This has been Really and truly a long time coming, probably like six years in the making, although we've only formally connected, you know, uh, in, in the last few months. And I'm incredibly excited to have you on the show. Oh, I'm honored to be here, Mike. Absolutely honored. I hope people don't think I'm that difficult to get a hold of <laughs> over several years. We've been talking for about a year and then more focused here in the last two or three months. So thrilled to be yeah, with you. Yeah, no, it's it's an it's an incredible honor uh, and what I mean by by years is is from the point that I um got your book, I knew that you and I would become friends and work together in some way shape or form. From the moment I read your book, I just was like this is and I'm going to actually tell the story to kick things off on how I first encountered your work. Before I do that, 
I kind of want to let like you're going to be part of a series that I'm doing um, that's already in, been uh, the first part of it's been released. It's it's a series on the power of belief. There's nothing more important than the power of our words and how our words shape what we believe that we're capable of. And we're going to dive in deep on all of that. But I want to tell the story to the listeners about how I first encountered your book, because I don't when I say that something changed my life, I I don't use those words lightly or flippantly. I think that those words are, you know, this X, Y, or Z was life-changing. I think that they're used very flippantly. But when when I say it, I mean that there are very few events or books that have changed my life. And and your book is one of them. I received your book as a gift during a very dark period of of time in in my life and in, in my career, a very difficult time. And it was 2011. And I was climbing out of the depths of the financial crisis. I had just been beat down my body was struggling, my mind was struggling, my marriage was struggling. And I had gone to my mastermind group meeting, my annual mastermind group meeting with a guy named Jesse Bond who you know who was hosting it. He was uh he is a one of a, one of the top New York life agents in the country and he was part of Mark Magit's office who I know I know you know Mark. At the end of our mastermind meeting Jesse gave us a copy of your book. Now, I went to that meeting with the intention of telling my fellow mastermind members that I was going to leave the financial services industry. And I left that meeting recommitted and reengaged in it. And at the end, he gave us all of a copy of your book, as I just mentioned, and I devoured it. I had never really consciously understood how powerful our words are, specifically subconsciously. Words have meanings, and when we're not talking to each other, we're talking to ourselves constantly, and the words that we use have a tremendous influence over what we are able to believe in our, uh, about ourselves, what we're able to accomplish, and the impact that we're able to have in other people's lives. So because of your book, I had a, a, just a total paradigm shift. And then your book also introduced me to Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning, which I had never heard about before and has totally influenced my, my life and my outlook um, about adversity and choice and uh, opportunity. And so I just want to say thank you for doing what you're doing, for for writing this book. It, it is a gift and for introducing it to the world, for carrying the message and for introducing Viktor Frankl to people like myself who otherwise never would have heard of him, never would have read the book. And today I still give you your book is the book I give away to the most people and recommend to the most people and educate the most people about. So I'm incredibly grateful to, to have you on the show. And I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for our listeners to learn more about what Kevin Hall is up to and the power that words can have in their life. Well, thanks, Mike. Wow. What a fun 
journey. I remember how impressive that New York Life office was uh, up in Seattle, Washington, that Mark Madgett let out. He's now their, their senior VP, I think, of, of all the national business there. And that's exciting that Jesse Bond shared my book with you. It's, I'm always honored when just one word, one thought, one idea can make a difference in somebody's life. And I love your theme of the power of belief. You know, let's take that word for just a second, because believe, L-I-E-V-E in Indo-European, in Germany, the mother language of most of Western Europe, that means love. L-I-E-V-E means love. So if I believe in myself, I love myself. I be love. If I believe in somebody else or their dreams, I'm acting from a place of love. And one of my favorite quotes of all time is by Viktor Frankl. And he wrote in Man's Search for Meaning that love is the highest and the ultimate goal to which man can aspire. So when you're talking about the power of belief, it comes from love. Love is what is the foundation, in my opinion, of abundance. We live in an abundant universe. There are abundant opportunities. There are abundant people appearing on our path every single day. Fear, and what he was involved with, with one of the darkest chapters of human history during World War II, during the Holocaust, he was involved with the exact opposite. It was driven by fear. And here was prisoner number 119104 who endured four Nazi concentration camps over two and a half years. And then he wrote, and, and Man's Search for Me is one of the 10 most influential books ever written, where he could write, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So that gift of choice, we can choose to believe. We can choose to be loved. We can choose to function out of abundance, which starts with knowing that you're enough. If you know you're enough, there will always, always be enough. That's why Mark Madgett at New York Life is one of the most remarkable leaders that I've ever come across in my life, because he gets it. But if you don't believe that you're enough, that's where you need to start. All meaningful and lasting change, William James taught, it starts on the inside and works its way outside. If you don't believe you're enough, there will never, ever, ever be enough. And that's why I started with the secret word, which I think is the key to belief. If you want to talk about that word from the East. Yeah, let's do it. Well, before we jump in there, before we jump into again, so I want to back up a little bit. And I want to I want to learn like one thing that I, I have not been able to find out and discover is is what was the origin of your decision to really dive in and 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 discover these meetings? I mean, what 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 is the background behind your passion uh, for the meaning of words? What why did you decide to go on this pursuit? You know, I, I was a partner in Franklin and it became Franklin Covey and I was leading out the sales organization and we were growing and changing and we eventually became a public company and it changes when that happens and during that process I thought is this really what I want to do 
Am I really tapping into my unique God-given gifts? I'm a person of belief. Am I using my gifts, my gifts of greatness? So I went to be tested at the Johnson O'Connor Research Foundation. You can look them up, J-O-C-R-F dot org. Johnson O'Connor Research Foundation. For several hundred dollars, you can take a two-day test. It actually should be thousands of dollars. And it's a natural gifts test. And I thought I was ace in everything, Mike. They did a test on engineering capacity. And I was in the bottom 5% of the hundreds of thousands. There were about to a million people tested that had ever taken that test. And so they said, please don't take um, and get a degree in engineering. Don't design tall buildings or expansive bridges because they'll collapse. It wasn't one of my guests, but I thought I was doing okay. Where I, where I was really struggling was in tweezer dexterity. I can type, I can type 60, 65, we used to, 60 to 70 words a minute with just a few errors a minute. And I thought, hey, I've got good tweezer dexterity. They came back day two. And in my debrief, they said, of the hundreds of thousands of people that we've tested, you're in the bottom one-tenth of one one-one-hundredth of one percent. So let's say they had tested 900,000 people. I was the second or third lowest. True story. Of anyone that ever tested for this finite skill of tweezer dexterity, which means if I decided to be a brain surgeon, you wouldn't want me as your, I'd be a killer surgeon. I would kill my patients. But they did come back and say, you know where you did do well? idea for you. This was a test where they would write a word. So what I write about, the power of words, aspire is discovering your purpose through the power of words. I'm working on a book, Healing, through the power of words. They wrote a word on the top of an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. They set the timer. I believe it was three or three and a half minutes. And they said, write as much as you want. You can write on the front and the back. I filled up the front and the back about that word. They ran in, gave me a second page, filled it up, both sides, third page, fourth page, fifth page, about four and a half pages into with five words. They came back and said, you know what? You've written ideas, thoughts, concepts around these words. You've written more the 99.99% of people that we've ever tested. I was in the top one percentile, really top one-tenth of one percent of one percentile for Ideaphoria. And they said, you know, I was leading the sales charge that helped write some of the content of what we would go out and present. So they said, you should market, you should sell, you should present. I was doing that. But then she said, you'll never be fulfilled until you write. And I would suggest you start writing about words. That's where that process happened. And then I hid from it, Mike, for 10 years. We took, you know, we took our company public. We did well. I went through the same thing. You went well. I had a business failure. I hadn't really failed. I had failed, of course, prior to that. But I got in the restaurant development business, not the human development business. And we launched like a rocket, and then it started to tank. And it was one of the best things that ever happened. Lost everything. Not everything, but the material things were falling by the wayside. And then you say, well, you know what? I think I'm going to pursue this dream 
of becoming an author and writing this book about words, not how you would normally plan. You'd want a lot in the bank. You want a lot, you know, set out. And I, and I, and I got on path. I've always said when you get on path and you get on purpose, you'll meet people who've been waiting on your path all along. They were just waiting for you to get on path. And that became a four and a half, five-year journey. Stephen Covey became an incredible mentor and friend, guided me. We would talk on a regular basis for about four of those years of writing the book. And he wrote the forward to the book, but he guided me through the whole process. And he said, Kevin, you're going to have an impact just like I did with Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. When the book came out, he said, this is just the beginning. But that's where it started. And, you know, Mike, think about it. Words, they have incredible power because every thought that we think and every word that we speak, it creates your future if you act on it. And we generally do. And that's, that's when it hit me that, you know what, words, they're like passwords. And, uh, you know, everything changed once I discovered that just one word could change the world for the better, that they are passwords and they'll unlock power. They'll open the door. And that's why that first word that I start with, from a journey to go back and meet with the Frankel family and learn more about where he had been in Vienna, Austria. Oh, it's been over a dozen years ago. I encountered someone on my path a world-renowned artist from India who taught me a word. And that word, Stephen Covey, when he learned this word, Genshai, he said that word had more power than any word that he'd ever learned. And he studied languages and religions and philosophies and theories from every corner of the world. And he loved that word that we start with. How do you spell it? Genshai is pronounced almost like gunshy, but it's G-E-N-S-H-A-I. And it's from India. And it's in their sacred writ in a community where they have a caste system, where there are four or five or six, quote, castes, and you, you start at the top, and these are, you know, the untouchables, and then you come down to the bottom, well, the bottom's the untouchables. These are people you can't even be around to come out of India with the word genshai that means you would never treat another person in a manner that would make them feel small, including yourself. And you know what, Mike, when we're done, text me your address, and I'll pop in the mail a genshai coin for you that you can keep with you. We have genshai.com, and you can get a genshai coin, and it's made out of silver, and it reminds us that the way we treat ourselves reflects in the way that we treat others. Because... Because you and I, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we see ourselves. And Genshai is a reminder that we each have divinity within us, that we have greatness within us, and that we'll attract into our life that which we believe we are. And you're talking about believing. Again, believe means to be loved. So when I believe in myself, I love myself. And when I love myself, I treat myself with respect. So let, that's where we're kicking it off. Yeah, I know. That's, that's incredible. And when I, when you were, one of the, one of the questions I was going to ask was actually about where people should start, what word they should start with when they're struggling, when they're having a hard time. And 
you just answered that question. And really it, it starts with, with not just b- the word believe, but with love and, and love is really the root for every other thing, every other word that flows from our mouth, whether it's courage or, or the opposite of that to discourage or confidence or compassion, or even the word passion itself. But I want to read a quote from your book that basically illustrates the journey that you went on from the point where you took that assessment and then ultimately wrote the book. And and it says, understanding as well as appreciating our unique calling is critical. The two most important days of our life are the day we are born and the day we discover what we were born to do. That's the day we catch the vision of who we are meant to be, which I think is awesome. It's a crazy, powerful quote, an amazing realization. But the next thing is building a roadmap to take action to fulfill who you are meant to be. So how did you begin to embark on that journey? Well, it's like all of us, Mike, we we just start. It's one little step at a time, but we decide that we're going to finish. If there were, I'm going to come back to words. If there were two words that really helped guide me. It would be Genshai. When I discovered that word in Vienna, I remember the night I discovered it over dinner with a complete stranger. It changed my life. We talk about habits, and it takes 21 days or 30 days to establish a habit. If something is vivid enough and profound enough in experience, a habit can be changed then, right then. And when I learned that word from Praveen Chirkori, whose mother was with Mira Bin and four or five other women living with Gandhi. I mean, that's, that's where his heritage comes from. I mean, wouldn't you love to go to breakfast or brunch with Gandhi? You must be the change you wish to see in the world. I started to see myself differently. I started to see people differently. And then the other word is inspire. People say, well, spire, spire comes from spirit. It does. The in is in. But the earliest origin to spire is breath. You talk about believe, inspire is a way to believe in others. Inspire is to breathe life into someone else of their dreams. Again, as a person of belief, our creator breathed life into our spirits. And then we became living things. And by the way, let's go back to Viktor Frankl. He said that he could tell when someone was about to just perish in a concentration camp from malnourishment, from discouragement, from the lack of love, encouragement. And he could tell that their days were numbered, likely their hours were numbered when they would stop giving. To give means to live. Well, what can you give in a concentration camp? It could be a word of encouragement, a wink of the eye, a smile, a pat on the back, a little corner of your bread. Part of your blanket at night if six or seven men are sharing that on a cot, which they were. But he said, when you quit giving, you quit living. So inspire, we have a chance to just to go up. When I coach someone and if I'm coaching an individual, one of my biggest jobs is to say, hey, I believe in you. I believe you can do this. If you believe it, I believe it. And if you don't believe it, then believe in my belief for you. And as Napoleon Hill said, all thought has a tendency to clothe itself in its physical equivalent. When we start to believe 
that these intentions, by the way, I love the word. It's not an aspire, Mike. I like intention better than goal or aspiration or dream because inside of intention is the word tent. And we start to stake out and claim our ground. Just like you would stake out a tent, what is one-dimensional, this piece of fabric, it now becomes three-dimensional. We stretch it, it expands, and it becomes a dwelling, a place for refuge, relaxation. It becomes something much more. When you intend to do something, you stake out and claim your ground. And when you say, you know what, I'm going to leave other people better for having met me. Just this morning, I did a, a call for a large community in the real estate industry, and they had eight to 10,000 people gathered in different rooms, some individually, all over the world for this call. And we talked about the power of focusing instead of what can I get, our mentality shifts to what can I give. And we focus on leaving others better for having met us because we receive what we desire for others. We can't help somebody get closer to their destination without getting closer to our own. It's been said that he who holds a lantern to light the pathway of his brother sees more clearly his own. So I think one of the choices, as Victor taught, you you know, take away anything, everything was stripped of him. You can't take away my ability to choose. So we can choose to use words, thoughts, actions that heal. Or we can choose to wound. We can choose to affirm or reject. We can inspire, breathe life into somebody of their dreams, or expire, suck the very life out. And I want to say this. One of the reasons we're on this phone is because of your friend, Jesse Bond, and another friend, Phil Tyrone, who I just love, who I was in a mastermind with. And Jesse knows me because of Mark Madsen. See, birds of a feather flock together. As Jim Rohn said, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I would highly recommend that you only spend quality time with practitioners of Genshai, practitioners who breathe life into others and their dreams. I'll help anybody, but you can only afford, I can only afford to spend quality time with people who are positive, productive, making a difference. And so can you. We think that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with or kind of the other side of the coin, show me your friends, I'll show you your future, which are both true statements. We think, well, that's great for my teenage daughter or for my son or for somebody in adolescence or just starting college or that new millennial. It's more important. The older that we get, birds of a feather flock together. You want to change something in your life right now? Only spend time with people that believe in you and that believe in themselves. And will you help other people? Of course. But if you right now say, who are the five people that I want as my personal board of advisors, who I want to spend time with, write them down, reach out to them and start, that will turn a switch. Because imagine, Mike, if you had gone to this mastermind with the intention, I'm honored that my book and even one concept in there change your trajectory where instead of you saying, hey, I'm not going to be part of this mastermind, and Jesse brings a copy of my book for everyone, and now here we are several years later having this interview for the people that you have an impact on. I mean, it's just incredible that, that, that you chose to do that, but it is a choice 
that we can appreciate or depreciate. We can encourage core heart. Adding to somebody's heart is when you encourage, discourage, or rip a part of somebody's heart out. We've all done both. I've done both as a father, husband, friend, business partner. It's time that we start focusing on strengths and not on weaknesses. And I think that's the key. And that's when I started to write and express myself that way. And it's painful. I'm not a fast writer. It took me five years to write Aspire. It was painfully sweet. But here we are today. And thank you. I, I'm incredibly honored myself. And the, the reality is, is that there are words in the book that really impacted me. Uh, the words that really helped me make the choices that have brought us here today are choosing to adopt words like courage, to be aware of the opposite of that, of discourage when I'm feeling like something is taking my heart away, to to ask questions about what that is, but then also like passion. You know, that's another word that I talk a ton about on my show specifically because of your book. And that's a, a very misunderstood word in, in the entrepreneurial world. People don't understand it as the, the true meaning in terms of being willing to suffer for something. And when you phrase it that way, boy, does that reshape the conversation about what somebody wants to do. But it's the absolute truth. You know, the other thing that, that you mentioned is, that, is, is how contributing is really the game, cha- game changer and that we can contribute regardless of our life circumstance. It reminded me of another quote from your book, which is, if you focus on contribution and not on achievement, you will achieve more than your wildest dreams. And that, I believe, came from your mentor, Stephen Covey, which it's so easy. It's so easy to say that, but it's really, really hard to do. See, that's a great analogy, too, that, you know, there isn't anybody on this call who doesn't need edification, who doesn't need added to their heart with words of encouragement and edification and affirmation. And Stephen Covey was incredible at that. His, his motto, and he made up little wristbands for his entire family, was to live life in crescendo. And crescendo means to grow. And he would say, Kevin, your greatest work is ahead of you. When my book came out, he said, you're just starting. This is just the beginning. And that philosophy that you just described was to focus on contribution not on achievement or success. And he would say, I still remember that conversation. I was in Dana Point in a writing studio. And I remember just being, wow, as he's described this, we were talking about vision that day. And he said, make sure you focus on contributions. Success has a beginning and an end. Contribution, it, it never ends. It has no beginning. And it will never, ever end. And I was at his memorial service. And I watched people line up just how he'd asked in Seven Habits to envision what that talk would be, what you want people to say. I watched his nine children greet every person, say, my father would be so honored that you're here. He lived it. He, you know, when your audio is matched by your video, that's an incredible thing. And that's what we can do when, let's, let's look at these two things that you just opened up, passion. You get young entrepreneurs and you're, you're focusing in your community on creating wealth through entrepreneurship. A lot of people say, I'll do what I love. If you do what you love, the money will follow. Kind of. 
I mean, it sounds really good. And sure, do what you love. You're doing what you love. I'm doing what I love. But the true meaning of passion is, are you willing to sacrifice? Sacrifice means to make sacred. Are you willing to suffer and sacrifice for what you love? It's a 12th century word. It comes from Christianity. In Judaism, we hear the term, what is to give light must endure burning. If you were to go to Europe in April or May, you would witness a passion play in the sacred reenactment of suffering for what one loves. So that's the point where we say, am I willing to really personify passion? Everybody loves to start new things. Entrepreneurship, hey, we sit down with a blank napkin and we can start a business. It's happened all over the world. But am I willing to not just start it? That's the easy part. As hard as it is, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. We've heard that ancient saying for many years. But what's it like in the middle when nobody's around? Do we finish what we start? Those with passion do. Those without passion try. I just eliminate the word try from your vocabulary. When I'm coaching someone and they say, I'll try to get that assignment done. I'll try to be on time for our next coaching session. And I'll stop and say, are you open to a little coaching? Those with passion do. Those without passion try. And when you have passion, you finish it. You finish what you start. And, and, and then that totally comes full circle when we say, hey, it's finished. I finished what I said I was going to do. So that's an incredible arrow to have in your quiver. Hey, I understand passion. I'm willing to suffer. Elon Musk. I mean, just think of what's going on at Tesla. And yesterday, a rocket is launched ahead of schedule because of what's happening in Florida. And that rocket, 120-plus-foot cylinder, came down. I didn't see it. I had a friend describe it. Came down and landed in the precise spot that it took off from. And now, you like him or don't like him, you can't say Elon Musk doesn't have passion. I mean, he's changing our world right now. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. What does somebody do when they, they're stuck? They're doing something that they're not necessarily passionate about. They're good at it. Okay. They're, they're, they're fulfilling a role or a task. They're good at what they're doing. It's earning them a living. That, but they're it's they're not feeling fulfilled. And if you had if you had to ask them the question, would you see this through to the end? And they say no. What does that person do? Well, and, and one other thing, likely that person will number one stop doing what you're good at and start doing what you're great at. We all have gifts, and they're not just gifts; they're gifts of greatness. I'm only kind of good or kind of great at two or three things. And hopefully it's writing, speaking, 
coaching and connecting. That is pretty much it. If I do anything else in a business setting, I'm not the accountant, I'm not the attorney. It's a disaster if I get involved in those areas. That is my sweet spot, as John Maxwell calls it. Those are your gift zone. And so it's, there's, a, there's a hint for you. People say, well, how do I know what my gifts are? You know, because you say, I would do it for free, right? I'd do it for free. And people will say, you were born to do that. That's in your nature. It's second nature to you. But there's also a hint that when we say to ourselves, I'm stressed, I'm overloaded, I'm going to have a breakdown. We've all felt that way. But when you are saying that to yourself 24-7, day after day, week after week, month, year after year, you're not on path and you're not on purpose, likely, because those three words were meant to describe the factory floor. It was in the industrial age that those words surfaced when you stressed the assembly line, right? It became overloaded. And what happened? It had a breakdown. We're not machines. We're human beings. And so you can ask other people, hey, what do you see in me? You can go get tested, but you know what you're reading, the movies that you watch, the books that you read, the magazines that you subscribe to or you read online. Curiosity is a huge indicator of where your gifts are. And there's three questions I ask people to ask when I'm coaching them. How can I bring more joy into my life each day? That person saying, I don't think I want to finish this. I don't know this. I'm kind of good at it, but I'm not great at it. Then I'd say, how can I bring more joy into my life each day? Answer that question. Question two links to question one. How can I become greater at what I'm greatest at? You couldn't have a gift without having a giver. When you open your gifts and unwrap them and serve others with them, you honor the giver of those gifts. So question two, how can I become greater at what I'm greatest at? And then you start on this apprentice journeyman mastery cycle. It's still the greatest self-improvement model in the world. In ancient days, if you wanted to become a blacksmith, you would go in your village, find a blacksmith. You'd become an apprentice, which means a learner. You would learn from that blacksmith. Then you would go on a journey, go to another village, learn from another master. And eventually you would become a master. You become a learner or an apprentice, go on a journey. And eventually you become a master. It's still, but a master never stops learning. In the East, a black belt, they say that's a new beginner, uh, an advanced beginner. If you're a black belt, you're an advanced beginner. They have a concept called Shoshin, which means, you know, I, I'm just learning. I'm just beginning on this stretch. But that's what I would do. I would find out, you know, what is it that I love? That's what I want for all of my children. I want them to focus on areas that they would do naturally. Nature works, but nature doesn't work. You sacrifice, you stay up late. I'm sure to get that rocket out of there before Irma started threatening Florida, I'm sure people worked overtime for the last two, three weeks, last two or three days. But when I look out my back window and I see a red tail hawk flying, it looks like it's on a kite string because it's doing what it was meant to do. And it can float up there for minutes. It can float up there for an hour. And just every few minutes, it will just 
flap those wings once or twice, and it can stay up there for several more minutes because it's doing what it's meant to do. It's time for everyone on this call to tap into namaste. Namaste, the divine in me salutes the divine in you. I salute your uniqueness. I salute your greatness. I salute what you naturally do best. And stop doing what you're good at and start doing what you're great at. When you reached out to me for this, because we'd had a little hit and miss, I was thrilled, Mike, because number one, because of you, I'm on this call because of you. We've had a couple of really deep conversations that I normally don't have, you know, on a first or second conversation. It was just instant with you. And so here we are. There's, there's over 7 billion people on this planet, yet not one of us has the same fingerprint or footprint or even laughs the same. Every individual is authentic. And every person listening to this is an unrepeatable miracle. And it's really time to start becoming that irrepeatable, unrepeatable miracle. Absolutely. And it brings up a really good point because I think there are a lot of people that, including myself, to be honest with you, in in certain areas of my life that want to move from just being good to living into the greatness that we are created to be and called to be. And yet we have this false sense of security. We have, have you ever, you've heard of Ernest Shackleton and their whole endurance story, I'm sure. Endurance. Yeah. Incredible, yeah, incredible story. One of my favorite books. Yeah. Great book. Uh, and I've talked about it a few times on my podcast. And one of the most moving moments to me in that story, in that true story is when the, the, the crew was stuck, had been stuck on a particular ice flow for like four months, waiting for the pack to open up so that they could have a chance at escaping. And suddenly the ice pack opens up and they, they, are, they, don't, they hesitate initially to leave their place of comfort, quote unquote, which is on this floating iceberg in the middle of nowhere, because they, they may not make it. You know, they may not make it past the ice flow. They may, they may die. But it was just such a fascinating psychological experiment. Not experiment, but I don't know the word I'm trying to uh, find. Uh, but such a reality check that these people who were stuck in these set of circumstances for an extended period of time saw freedom in front of them and hesitated. Because they they might die. And I think that there's a lot of people listening that have a false sense of security that is preventing them from moving from good to great. So how do you, what's the next best step for them to do to begin that journey? Well, you got to expand and leave your comfort zone. Everything that's meaningful and significant and profound and lasting, that those legacy pieces, they're right at the edge of our comfort zone. James Newman, who was a dear friend and a mentor of mine who wrote a book called Release Your Breaks, he's the author of The Comfort Zone. He developed that concept that we tend to gravitate to the easiest, most comfortable area of our life, and we get in a rut. I mean, let me ask you this question, Mike. Whose food do do most people eat at a potluck dinner? Whose food? Uh, Their own. Their own. You're at a potluck dinner. You're there to sample everybody else's food. Why do they eat their own food? 
Because they're sure it tastes good. Because <laughs> they don't want to die. That's yeah. why they eat their own food. In a microcosm, it's a little like Shackleton. They don't want to take that risk. They know the hands that have prepared it. They know when it was purchased. They know how it was prepared. So they gravitate to their food. It's the same thing in our life. Everything that's meaningful, we grow when we expand what we're comfortable with. That's why it's wonderful to be in a mastermind. That's why people are listening to you and you're bringing content and information that expands what was comfortable. And then what happens is what was once uncomfortable becomes comfortable because we're at a new level. And then we just repeat that process and goal set through and we go over and over. But one other piece of that, if there were two sides to the passion coin, the other side would be all in. Oh, yes. I love that word. All in was on the Aztec calendar. And when a great storm or earthquake, I mean, think of everything that's going on in the world right now, when something like that was going to happen, they would scream all in, which means you got to move and act right now with all your heart. There are opportunities that present themselves. And in the middle of opportunity is the word port. When the winds are just right, the tides, the sea, in ancient days, a flotilla of ships could go into that port and they could conquer, they could do trade, they could meet friends and relatives, but only during that window of opportunity. My wife just brought you your Genshai coin, Mike, to make sure, thank you, Sherry, that it is sent to you as I just promised. It's sitting right in front of me. And so we have these windows of opportunity. We meet someone, something presents itself, and sometimes we say, well, can I do that? Am I worthy of that? Here's five affirmations that get me all in. I want to talk a little bit more about all in because it's engaging the heart. The, the biggest distance in the world is those few inches from your mind to your heart. And when you can get your heart engaged, the more senses that you can get engaged with an intention, with a goal, with a dream, the more likely that you are to achieve it. That's why we can feel and see and taste and touch and hear the more of your senses. I like to handwrite my intentions because it comes right from my heart and our bodies are wired for life. And it starts with the heart. We have 60,000 miles of arteries and veins and capillaries in our cardiovascular system. That's enough to go around the earth. Just in your body, Mike, we go around the earth twice. But yet that same heart can send one single red blood cell. While I just described that, it'll circulate through your body in less than 30 seconds, in 20 seconds. And that's why it's the center of literature. That's why novelists and playwrights and poets and songwriters have created this vocabulary around the heart. Hey, you're heartless. You're big-hearted. You're cold-hearted. It's heartfelt. Do it with all your heart. In Egypt... The heart was viewed as the seed of humanity, and I think they had it. In Judaism, the heart is the temple of the soul. It's the seed of wisdom. In Christianity, the heart is a symbol of love and compassion. So when you say, I'm going to move and act right now with all my heart, amazing things start to happen. I hope everybody listening will write down eight words. Act as if it's impossible to fail. And in the next week, when you get an idea, an impression, a thought, an idea, I should call this person. I should follow up on this. I should do this. And then that other voice says, well, you're not worthy of that. You're not going to. Who do you think you are to call them or do this or reach out to that or start this business or do this new initiative? 
Who are you to think that if you say, I'm going to act as if it's impossible to fail? When you do that, you start running towards your intentions. And when you run towards your intentions, they run towards you. And I think some of the greatest words ever penned were by Ogmandino when he wrote in that scroll in The Greatest Salesman in the World, I will greet this day with love in my heart. You know, that when he says, if I have no other qualities, I could succeed with love alone. Without it, I will fail, though I possess all the knowledge and skills of the world. I will greet this day with love in my heart. My book has started with that quote. And I don't like to use ubiquitous quotes, quotes that are out there, but I felt so strong about jumping in with all your heart. And when you do, things will line up. You can be, Victor Frankl used to say this, you can be half sure, but wholehearted. How do I know I'm on the right path? Jump in, move with all your heart. You're going to find out pretty quick. If you jump in with all your heart, if you're on the right path. And another way that you can tell is what Joseph Campbell taught me in The Power of Myth. He says, the way to find out about your happiness, and I write about this in Aspire, is to keep your mind on those moments when you are most happy, when you really are happy. Not excited, not thrilled, but deeply happy. What is it that makes you happy? Stay with it no matter what people tell you. That is what I call following your bliss. So that's why I said, I have three questions. I only gave you two. How can I bring more joy into my life each day? That's what he's describing, following your bliss. How can I become greater at what I'm greatest at? And then question three is, how can I best serve others? This is the contribution component with my greatness. How can I best serve others with my greatness or my gifts of greatness? Because your purpose isn't about you. Leadership and pathfinding isn't about you. Your gifts aren't about you. They're about serving those who need your gifts, who need your leadership, who need your purpose. And again, once we do that, we actually receive what we're trying to give to others. I love that. And honestly, that act as if it's impossible to fail that is the reason we're on this call today. I texted you this morning. I said, hey, we haven't been able to line things up. I know it's a long shot, but in the off chance you have any availability today, could we do the interview? And like, I'm like, I sent that text. I'm like, the worst case, worst possible thing that could happen is he's like, sorry, Mike, my schedule's jammed. We'll have to try for another time. I mean, but I wouldn't have, we wouldn't have connected today if I didn't act as if it weren't impossible to achieve. And when you get on that path and you move from that point of good to great and you're following your bliss, as, as you put it, amazing things happen. And as you indicated earlier, the people that people have been waiting for you on that path. And I love the story in your book about when you were leading a scout uh, excursion Somewhere, I think in Utah or Colorado, one of those two places. Grand Tetons. Grand Tetons. Oh, the Grand Tetons. That's right. Yeah. And you had just finished telling them the story about Michael Jordan's mindset coach. And then shortly after that, I think the same day, a few hours later, you encountered him on a trail <laughs> randomly. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You could be in the Grand Tetons and Dr. Gerald Bell, one of the top human behavioralists in the world. 
I'm sharing his story of being the coach for Michael Jordan. He put up the Louisiana Superdorm, the place of the NCAA National Championship game. You know, as Dean Smith would coach them, then he would have private sessions with the team and individuals with Dr. Bell. He, he coaches professional golfers, CEOs. And I'm sharing his story about 4,000 retired chief executive officers where he took a sabbatical from Chapel Hill at University of North Carolina. And he asked 4,000 CEOs at the top of the food chain, if you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? And the number one response, there were eight responses. It outnumbered the other seven, like two to one. It was, I would have carved out life goals earlier. Life isn't practice. It's the real thing. They were CEOs. They were already at the top, but they hadn't been intentional with their lives. And there was giving back and spending more time with their family, taking better care of the health. That kind of rounded out the top four. But I had all of these scouts together. We were going to do a 20-mile hike. And I said, if you go 21 miles, if you go the extra mile, I'll buy you a steak dinner at the Million Dollar Supper Club attached to the Million Dollar Saloon. Probably didn't fit scout rules, but I was buying them a, <laughs> I was buying them a steak dinner if they went the extra mile. Of my 18 scouts, how many do you think wanted to go 21 miles? All of them. All of them. But it isn't the beginning of the journey that's the hard part. It's the end. How many do you think wanted to do it at the end? Not, not many. Two. When we got to 20 miles, the others peeled off and said, you know, I don't really want that steak. I got my, my, I'll get my, my hiking merit badge, one of the toughest merit badges, and we're actually literally jogging. So we go up the extra half mile from String Lake to Bear Paw Lake. As we turn around, I hear, I see this bespeckled, fit, middle-aged jogger coming up, and he says, are you Scoutmaster Kevin Hall? And I remember thinking, how can a solicitor or creditor find me <laughs> in the middle of the wilderness? And he ran up next to me and I said, where are you from? And here I have Chris Johnson behind me and his friend, Peter Stevenson. And excuse me, Jeff Larson, Jeff Larson, his friend, uh, Chris. And they're walking, they're listening, they're, we're hiking. And I said, where are you from? And he says, I'm from North Carolina. What part of North Carolina? Chapel Hill. And I said, you wouldn't happen to know a Dr. Gerald Bell, would you? I just shared his story with all of these scouts this morning. He stops dead in his tracks. I stop in my tracks. The scouts don't stop. They run right up our backs. And he looks at me and says, true story. So I had him write the foreword to my book. I am Dr. Gerald Bell. Now, he lived in Colorado when he grew up, and once a year, he takes this pilgrimage. He stops in the Grand Tetons. He'll run six or seven or eight miles. He was doing six and a half miles that day. And because we went the extra mile, I think there's something in there for that. We happened to run into him the very day that I shared a survey that Peter Vidmar, Olympic gold medal, uh, two-time gold medal gymnastic champion, one of my best friends, he just sent me. Faxed me. That was the days we had fax. Didn't have an email then. He faxed me this study. You ought to share this with your scouts when you're out taking them to the Grand Tetons. And sure enough, I did. And that is so true. When you get on path, you'll meet people who've been waiting for you all along. I, I want to share five affirmations if I can, Mike. Absolutely. Go for it. They're not in the book. And I, I share these more individually. They came to me once when I was coaching someone who was really struggling. And I felt, and I still do to this day, that they were inspired, not just for that individual, 
but for everybody that crosses my path. Generally, what follows I am follows. I am means the beginning from the end. It's a, it's a sacred salutation. It's also a title in sacred writ. Here are five statements. Three, you could make all of them I am statements, but three of the five are I am. I am worthy. Just think of that when you get a negative thought. You, you think of texting me, hey, Kevin, would you like to, to hop on with me and we'll do an interview today? And you say, hey, I'm worthy. I'm going to do this. Every person on this call, when you deal with love, that says you're enough. If you believe you're enough, there will always be enough. I'm worthy. Two, I am capable and grateful. You have a unique set of gifts and capacities. And as I said earlier, when you open your gifts, you honor the giver of those gifts. Gratitude means grace. And grace comes from divine gift is the origin of that word. When you, you can express your gratitude with your gifts by understanding what they are and serving others with them. I am worthy. I am capable and grateful. Number three is one of the biggest ones where people get hung up. I forgive. You can say I am forgiving if you want an I am statement, which is great. But I say I forgive. Who do I forgive? myself, and others. By the way, if I give you something, I take something that's mine, I give it to you, it's no longer mine. The four is an amplifier. I thrust it away. I throw it away. It's not even close to me. So when you forgive, it's a gift you give to yourself. Not that what somebody did was right. If somebody betrayed you, somebody, whatever has happened in your life. Some people are saying, I want to go, and they're going 100 miles an hour, and I say, have you forgiven? No. Well, it's like Jim Newman's book, Release Your Brakes. You have one foot on the gas pedal. You're going as fast as you can go, you think, but you're not going anywhere because your other foot's on the brake. When you forgive, and Victor Frankl taught that so well, he said, I never forget when a good deed is done to me, and I always forget when a bad deed is done. Now, you know, when your whole family's wiped out, your first wife, your unborn child, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, when you lose everything and you can say, I always forget when something bad is done, that's somebody who's lived a life well. We get into this fancy, you know, we have fancy problems. Well, this person did this or this didn't go right. Or that person cut me off. We're dealing out of fear. We're dealing out of hate. We're dealing in scarcity. There's not enough. But if you believe you're enough, there will always be enough. And that comes from love that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which we can aspire. If you really love yourself, you're going to forgive. You're not going to hang on to something that's going to create walls that you're going to build with your own bricks that will imprison you. Number four, so I am worthy, I'm capable and grateful, I am forgiving, or I forgive myself. You can't forgive others unless you forgive yourself. We all come up short. You do your best, you say, next time, I'll do it right. By the way, one of my favorite Statements is that's like me, that's not like me from a book by Shad Hempstetler that I read 30 years ago. It's not a great book. I, I don't mean to say that about Shad, but the concept is when you do something right, say that's like me. When somebody gives you a compliment, say thank you. I accept and receive that. That's what I've added to that. And you're saying that's like me. You drive a ball down the fairway, goes right in the middle. You say that's like me. You, you, you know, you, when you hook it, 
Instead of breaking their driver and screaming, I'm such an idiot, I can't do that. You say, that's not like me. Next time I'll do it right. That's built into, I forgive. Who do I forgive? Myself and others. The last two, I think, are two of the most powerful. Maybe we can end with this, Mike. The last two are, or wherever you want to end, but these five affirmations, I am abundant. Abundance is your birthright. You have divinity within each and every one of you. It's time to release that potential. It's time to begin your own heroic journey. And again, abundance comes from love. I am abundant. If you started to act abundantly in in this week, from, from now until when you hear this, when this is produced and they hear this, Mike, If if every person on this call said, I'm going to act as if it's impossible to fail. I'm going to do these five affirmations every day, and I'm going to act like I am abundant. You will be blown away at the changes and the opportunities to contribute, make a difference that begins surfacing in your life on the hour, on the day, on the week. And the fifth affirmation is probably the biggest one. I trust myself. Or I am trusting, if you want an I am statement. I trust myself. I trust that this intention, this goal, this dream, this aspiration, it has to have two things. It should align with your unique God-given gifts, I believe. And it should benefit somebody other than yourself. It can benefit you, but if it's mutually, if it's just you, it's a selfish, self-centered goal. But if it benefits someone else, not just yourself, I don't think you could... You could conceptualize that intention or goal or dream if you couldn't achieve it. So when you say, I trust myself, then whatever you put out there, whatever it is, hey, I can do it. And a lot of your friends may not believe that you can do that. It doesn't matter what they believe. If this focuses on the power of belief, if you love yourself, believe means to be love, then you just believe it. And as Napoleon Hill taught, as I said earlier, all thought, it it will manifest itself in its physical equivalent. All thought has a tendency to clothe itself in its physical equivalent. So if if I can conceive it and believe it, and those aren't my words. These aren't my words. If I can, neither is the, you know, the day you were born and the day that you died. That's been around there for a long time. But if I can conceive it and believe it, that's the glue. I can achieve it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it reminds me of another quote. Uh, by, I think it's by Charles Reed. So a thought, reap an act. So an act, reap a habit. So a habit, reap your character. So your character, reap your destiny which is a really one of my favorite quotes of all time. And, you know, this was an incredibly powerful conversation and I just have two final questions. And I just wanted to say thank you uh, for your time today and for being so flexible. And I look forward to, to really continuing this journey of friendship um, and, and collaboration. And, and the, the last two questions are one where can people go to, to connect with you, to interact with you online? What's the best way to do that? And then, and then uh, answer that question. And then I have the final question. You know, and I need to do better online. I'm actually going to see if one of my daughters here will help me with that. We opened up a page. I, got, I have Kevin Hall like 
is my like page. And we opened that up and we got like 50,000 people. I used to be more active and then it got a little overwhelming. So I need to do better at that. And I will commit to do that. And you can also find me, Kevin Hall Aspire, which is the name of my book. Or you can email me, Kevin at powerofwords.com. Or you can reach out to Mike. If somebody in this community wants to get me, Mike knows how to get a hold of my personal cell number. And I'm not going to give that out. But Mike will know if we need to visit. And if there's anything I could do to serve you or help you, it would be my great honor. And, and as you just said, Mike, by the way, of course you know that quote. Of course you know that. I always say, if you plant the seeds, the harvest cannot be prevented. But some people, they're, they're shaking the tree that was never planted, saying, where's the fruit? But they never took the time to plant the seeds. And I gotta, I'm going to give you an invitation, Mike, because I send this coin. You need to come to my Genshai Life Mastery event. I'm not promoting it here on your experience, and we're almost out. We, I think we've got a handful of seats left. I, we have thought leaders. I'm going to be honoring John Maxwell this year. I'm going to have Rudy there. He was there last year. Immaculate Ila Bagiza, who wrote Left to Tell, hid in a bathroom that was three by four feet with seven other women, which he talks about forgiving the man who took a machete and killed her father. He was her high school teacher, but he was in a different tribe. You'll never be the same. We're going to honor Immaculate and John this year. And Rudy, who's just a piece of work, is going to talk about getting all in and having passion. But at the end of January, the last Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I want you coming to southern Utah, close to Zion National Park, and being part of our Genshai community. So we'll talk more about that, Mike, as you look at that coin and you look at your schedule. I'd love to have you there. But if there's anything I could do for you or members of your community, and I hope you'll share this with Jesse Bond, and he'll share it with Mark Madgett, because I wouldn't know you if it wasn't for Jesse. In fact, you know what? When the coins come, I'm sending two. And you can present Jesse with his own Genshai coin that says, never treat another person in a manner that would make them feel small, including yourself. And it's silver. It's been minted. It's, it's the common person's gold. Everybody can have silver, which is what Genshai is like. And I hope you'll keep that on your person. Uh, and Mike, I think the world of you, our two or three conversations that we've had, I think we've had a couple. I don't think it's been three, but we've had two prior to this call. They were as deep. Um, you understand human development. You understand what it's like to get knocked down and get back up. And I think people are fortunate to understand the impact that Mike can have on them. And I'm privileged to call you my friend. And if I can ever do anything for you, Mike, you're one of those people who's positive, productive, making a difference. And if you need anything from me, it'll be done. You can just count on it. Oh, same thing for you, man. I mean, and I just got goosebumps and, uh, they're called truth bumps, truth bumps. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, thank you so much again, Kevin. And the last question is a big one and it's in the same vein as, um, uh, Stephen Covey's test in, in, um, in seven habits. And it's, it's the title of another book by a guy named Clay Christensen, which is how will you measure your life? I'm going to quote another mentor. And by the way, I'm going to share this because Stephen Covey taught me that you go to the top of the learning curve. That means that you find people who have been where you want to be and have done it at a very high level. Don't start with somebody who's at the bottom of the learning curve, go to the very top. And one of my other mentors was John C. Maxwell. And I'm not tossing out names 
I just mentioned we're going to be honoring him. John taught me this definition of success. And so I'm going to answer your question with what one of my mentors gave me. It's not my original thought. And that's okay because it saved me a whole lot of time. Quoting John C. Maxwell, he shared it with Sherry and I over dinner. It's been four or five years ago. He read my book that this is what great thought leaders do. They're always reading. Stephen Covey read or scanned a book every day of his life. John Maxwell read my book. Somebody gave it to him at the church he attended in Jupiter, Florida, said, here's this book by Kevin Hall. I think you'll like it. He found me. He found my private number. He called me and he said, hey, this is John C. Maxwell. I have kind of a raspy voice. He has that deep, resonant voice. And I said, you really, and he's, tra- he's trained pastors and ministers. I said, you really do have the voice of God. And he just laughed and <laughs> I laughed and we become dear friends. And then when he came to town, where we happened to be in Salt Lake City at that time, he made it a point. He had a secretary, Linda Eggers, reach out and say, John would like to spend a few hours with you and your wife. He only does this occasionally. And he'd like to take you to dinner. Can we schedule? We schedule the time. He bought a book, brought it, his own book. He went to a Barnes and Noble, bought his book, signed it for us. It was a great book. And then he taught me that night that success is knowing that those who know you best love and respect you the most. How about that? That is, that is a winning, winning way to live. Wow. And I'm not there yet, but that's what I want. I want my friends, my family, my children, my grandchildren, my wife. That's the ultimate goal. Faith, family, freedom are my three highest values. I want to be, you know, we live in a country where we can believe the way we want to believe. My family is everything and freedom, the freedom to be able to do what you want to do. I'm going to be in Houston next week. I'm going to go back to this community. They've canceled a huge event. That's why I was on that call this morning. And we go from mega camp to mega relief. And I'm going to be going into Houston back and forth. And I have an event in Austin Friday, Saturday. And I have a, you know, I have the freedom to be able to do that and to get on the call with you today. So um, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin. I mean, it's been a, it's been a huge honor. And people, I've talked about this book for the last two years. You need to go buy it like right now. We will link to it in the show notes. Aspire, discover your purpose through the power of words. At the same time, Amazon will probably suggest that you buy Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Do yourself a favor, buy that. Uh, go to Genshai, G-E-N-S-H-A-I dot com and, and hang out there. Go to powerofwords.com. Um, connect with, with uh, Kevin. Email him. He's incredibly generous. And again, Kevin, thank you for being on the show and, and your wonderful wife, Sherry. Thank you for all that she does to support you because we know that behind every great man is an even greater woman. Absolutely. I overmarried big time. That's the best thing I would tell anybody. Thank you, Mike. You're making an impact and I'm honored to know you. And uh, look, by this time next week, you'll have two coins showing up in your mailbox and then uh, send me your address and then we'll talk about uh, my personal invitation because it's an invitation only about what I just share with you. Thanks, buddy. Absolutely. Some big things are happening with the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Head over to patreon.com forward slash the impact mic and you 
can join me in fulfilling the mission of the podcast, which is to help people have an encounter with their potential and have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And there are two levels at which you can do that, a $2 a month club and a $4 a month club. And there are some awesome rewards that we will be throwing in and building in. So go over to that site, patreon.com forward slash The Impact Mike, and be sure to jump in the pool with me today. If you are so inclined, I would be so grateful. And also, don't forget about the other incredible gifts we have for you. We will be giving those away at patreon.com forward slash The Impact Mike, both the Clarity of Purpose scorecard and the Six Bridges of Personal Growth and Wellbeing will be given away to those who jump in the pool with me and help support the mission of this incredible podcast. If you missed any of the key points and highlights of my conversation with Kevin, we've got you covered over at the show notes. You can go to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash seven, eight for all of the key points and highlights, all of the links to everything that he's up to, as well as the Patreon link. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them. Until next time, you know what to do. Go make an impact.